Welcome to Great Women in Fraud with Kelly Paxton, certified fraud examiner, private investigator, and pink collar crime expert. This is the podcast where thought leaders in fraud share their stories, wisdom, resources, and tips. For 25 years, I have worked in fraud and investigations in both the government and private sector. I love what I do, and I want to share with others who are also either working in fraud or interested in fraud as a career. This is where you will learn how to investigate but not commit fraud. We are blowing past podcast fade here with episode nine. Our guest today is Carice Hendrick. You may know her as the e-commerce queen of fraud, investigating, not perpetrating fraud, of course. Carice and I go back several years. We met via LinkedIn, but soon realized we have many shared connections, and we also love to share resources, content, and tips. Let's get started. I am so lucky. Again, Great Women in Fraud, an amazing, amazing guest. And we have Carice Hendrick. And you know what is so funny about Carice is I think I reached out to you, like, because my sister has a store and she had like a fraud issue. Oh, and that's you right. responded so kindly. And then we realized we had some connections with fraud at Nike and everything like that. And then we have continued this relationship. So welcome to the podcast, Carice. And why don't you tell us about how you got into the world of fraud or anti-fraud, as I call it? Well, thanks, Kelly, for having me. I actually, um, I totally forgot that that was how we started. I think that was years ago, but um, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah, so I've been in uh, e-commerce fraud prevention for a little over 15 years. I actually started out on the payment processor side, um, kind of by accident, like most everyone on the e-commerce side of fraud. Uh, and really the biggest difference about um, e-commerce fraud is that it's all preventative. It's all before the, before it happens. So um, there's a lot of investing and looking at the details and trying to basically extrapolate people's intentions um, on a purchase on the internet of whether they are stealing it or not, whether they're using their stolen credit card or, or a stolen credit card or not. Uh, and for every $1 of fraud that hits a merchant, it actually costs them $3. So that's why it's so important to prevent it. And um, so I got into it by accident, but fell in love and have stayed on purpose. And I uh, went on to the merchant side for a few years. I um, started a fraud department for a startup in 2008 to 2010. Then I went on to Expedia and I created a process there that's still in place for something called friendly fraud, which is ridiculous, but it's more first party fraud. It's a terrible name for something. But uh, and then I um, really fell in love with working with online companies at a higher level. So uh, I started um, I, I had been speaking at conferences for a while and really just loved uh, just like you, you know, the light bulbs that go off and helping people you know, learn things that maybe they didn't know before. And so I was asked to consider a position as a program manager for an international trade association in uh, online risk. And uh, so I did that for a few years and then uh, I went off on my own and I've uh, been running uh, Chargelytics Consulting for the last six years. It's pretty much this week is its anniversary. So that's exciting. And um, also um, working a lot with basically when online companies don't know who to ask, they 
ask me. I mean, I'm very <laughs> lucky for that. I've worked with hundreds of the biggest brands online through my work with the trade association, as well as uh, through writing for a publication and working on content for conferences and all kinds of things. But I really, I just love supporting online merchants and uh, fraud fighters within that. Well, um, so we're going into a holiday season with, um, I just was talking about it earlier. We're not going to probably have Black Friday, but we are going to have an insane fraud cyber month. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Uh, So one of the, um, towards the beginning of the pandemic, I was just fielding a lot of the same questions from a lot of companies. And so uh, I started a couple of merchant collaboration calls with people in my network. And one of them is with online retailers. Uh, So pretty much, you know, most of the department stores that you can think of, um, most of the stores that are in malls um, or, you know, shopping centers uh, are all part of this group. Uh, There's about 40 of them that are on the the invite list biweekly, but uh, you know, really varies based on schedules, who's able to come, but we actually just had that call today and our most recent one today. And uh, they're all preparing for a giant snowstorm. And uh, one of the department stores said that their company is basically starting holiday sales the very first week of November, whereas they usually wouldn't do it till the end of November. And all analysis for e-commerce are are just sky high as far as the volume compared to in-person because of COVID-19 and the impacts of that. So um, there's a million reasons why, maybe not a million, but maybe a thousand reasons why this holiday season is going to be really tough for fraud fighters online, uh, not just COVID related, but uh, there's just a lot of factors. Uh, I would say actually most of them are COVID related between um, shipping partners being overloaded. And so packages taking longer, warehouses are having to social distance. So packages are taking longer uh, and uh, competing with Amazon with the two day pack. It's just, you know, there's a lot there and that can cause a lot of issues that can look like fraud, but isn't fraud or vice versa. Um, so yeah, we're, uh, <laughs> it's, it's gonna be a lot, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm here to cheer them on from the sidelines. I'm grateful I'm not in retail anymore because <laughs> holiday season in retail, you just don't even have a family. <laughs> it's like, I'll see you in January. <laughs> well, yeah. When I was at Nike, a couple of the people that I worked with on that side of the house, I'm like, you know, they're doing shift work. They're just yeah. nonstop shift mm-hmm. work from you know, basically now until, um, after Christmas and, and then you've got COVID this year and you have supply chain. I had to buy a dishwasher recently and my selection was not incredibly a lot <laughs> unless I went into wait for eight months. I mean, it was just because of the supply chain. Yeah. There's and, a lot of supply chain issues for retailers as well. Absolutely. It's causing just down. I mean, it's, I think everyone's a little nervous <laughs> for sure. As the fraud hashtag queen, the fraud hashtag for you is sharing is caring. Oh, <laughs> like look at you do these phone calls and you have, you have built this community and it's so important to have this community because, you know, are these people going to go home and talk to their families about friendly fraud? <laughs> but they don't actually re- ask my husband. Yes. <laughs> are they going to want to hear it? No. <laughs> But to have that, you've built this amazing community where people can feel comfortable and reach out. Well, that's the thing about online fraud is that it's 
especially for competitors in every other area of their business, they're competitors, right? But when it comes to fraud, they're not competing against each other. They're competing against the fraudsters and the bad actors. And if one of the companies, you know, if you're looking at two two big box stores or two department stores or two gaming platforms, whatever it is, I've I've had the privilege of introducing a lot of them to each other over the years. Um, they're getting hit in a similar way. And if one of them kind of figures out how to identify it or how to stop it, it's all going across the street and, or it's going downstream. I've seen sophisticated fraud attacks start at, you know, high, um, low dollar digital goods, like online gaming platforms or uh, those kind of things. And then now they're hitting everyone, even really small companies. And so it, it's critical for companies to be working together. And that's something I'm really passionate about. And I do all of that for free. It's not part of my business model at all. It's just, that's what fills me up. And um, I'm, I'm just, you know, I just feel like I'm the hub of the wheel. They're all the spokes and I kind of soak in what I can. And, but it, sometimes I feel like it's selfish to me, but um, you know, I, it's something that I just, I absolutely love to, um, you know, facilitate the sharing. And sometimes it is commiseration and that's okay too. <laughs> I uh, spoke at, this was years ago, iOvation that got bought out oh, yeah. by Dance Union. Yeah. And I was fascinated because there was a woman from Australia who did a presentation and the same thing. She's like, once we identify these people, she goes, literally, we put all the bad guys into one sandbox And they can just fight amongst each other in that sandbox. And she goes, because, you know, they are, if they hit a big box store, they're going to hit the other big box store. And she's like, we're not helping each other if we don't share the information. So it was a light bulb moment for me. And I love (laughs) the fact that she's like, you know what, once in a while, we put them all in a bad guy's sandbox, and then they all try and take out each other. (laughs) <laughs> and so I just thought and it's like, that's kind of specific to their business with the devices and all that but yeah I, I like it <laughs> yeah yeah and you know I have a law enforcement background and we used to keep our sources very very close to us we wouldn't share and I've broken that like if someone wants to know something and I know the answer I'm going to give it to them because Absolutely. it and it's a hard thing when you come and you've made cases based on sources forget it I give it and you clearly give all that sort of information out. Um, I do. I really don't believe in holding information hostage. I mean, certainly as a consultant, I've had to learn where the paywall is. Uh, but I I would say, you know, there's a lot of things that I, I just feel like it's important to just share. There's no formal path or education path or training path for online fraud. And so most people are really on the job training. And uh, there's a lot of people still that are just joining the industry now and, and they're just wide eyed and lost puppies. And I just I want to scoop them all up and help them all as much as I can. Uh, but what I can do is help introduce them to other merchants who have been there for a while, you know, to kind of help them, too, because otherwise I'd be spending my whole time doing that. And that would be amazing. But I kind of need to keep the lights on, <laughs> keep the Internet going so I can keep working. <laughs> Well, so, um, and this leads to, you have a new podcast where you are the host by yourselves. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Fraudology? Yeah, so I started Fraudology just recently. I think you and I started right around the same time. Uh, I um, 
had had previously had a podcast um, and I was a co-host and it was great and I really enjoyed it. And I think my favorite, I know my favorite part of it was getting information out and sharing information with others and also just the feedback loop of people, you know, saying, hey, I learned so much from that episode or I was able to talk to my boss about this in a different way than I didn't know and um, all these things. And so I just really appreciated that and enjoyed it. And when the decision was made to end the last podcast, I was kind of not sure if I wanted to do a podcast by myself or not. I, I wasn't sure if anyone would want to listen. Uh, but I, I, the purpose of fraudology is really to talk about the science and study of fraud. Um, and primarily it's about e-commerce fraud because that's what I know. But we have um, brought on guests from the banking side, as well as a former um, criminal that did a lot of different types of crimes, not just cybercrime, um, as well as the director of strategy for uh, fraud strategy for Macy's. And I've, I'm going to have several others soon, too. So um, it's really just about sharing stories and information with each other. Um, really, it also it helps have a platform. So sometimes if I'm getting questions about one thing, often I can just say, okay, I'm going to do a podcast episode about that. <laughs> and it's not meant as self-promotion. It's just meant more as type management. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I've got like a list of questions. And one of the thing, one of the questions is, and I think I'm, hopefully I know this answer. Um, do you think you have a hidden talent and what is your hidden talent? Oh, geez. <laughs> I'm trying to think what my hidden talent would be. Um, I mean, I'm intuitive. I don't know if that's a talent. I think that's I kind more... of, that's where I was going to go. Empath <laughs> and being intuitive. Yeah, I think that that has really become my superpower in fraud fighting and in detecting fraud. Um, I actually was able to at the beginning of this year, or mm, I don't know, time is a construct this year, but um, towards the beginning of COVID, I was able to kind of, I was getting all these issues from retailers about, you know, we're having these issues, we can't figure it out. And then I, you know, randomly heard from a fraudster something about this thing called refunding. And I was like, what the heck is that? And it's like this whole new kind of re fraud that no one's ever seen before. And I was able to put together those pieces because, you know, I may not be analyzing transactions anymore, but I've still, you know, still got it in that way. Um, but I think also like people reading and, and just also I, I'm really good. I think I have a really good sense of who would be good to meet each other, who would be good to work for. You know, I, I love helping people get jobs when I know them well. I don't, you know, um, I, I don't give referrals to people that I don't know well, but, um, you know, I, I love to be able to do that. So I think if that's considered a talent, that's what I would say. I don't like sing or dance or anything. I mean, I sing, but not well. <laughs> okay, I'm not. We have not had singing yet on the podcast, <laughs> and you won't this episode either. <laughs> so what's the best compliment you have ever received related to work? We, mm. we your family gives you compliments all the time, but related huh. to work, mm. I have a teenager that doesn't happen. <laughs> um. You know, I think the best ones are when people appreciate they took time to help them or mentor, um, you know, whether they're younger women or other women. I really enjoy, similar to you, encouraging other women to go for things and try because I think sometimes we're our own worst enemy, myself very much included. But in a way, I've gone through a journey of self-discovery and trying to push myself and, and work towards, you know, 
hopefully one day eradicating the imposter syndrome. And so that's something I really appreciate helping people. And I, the compliments around that are really, uh, they mean a lot to me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely. So do you have a personal motto? Do you have a- hmm, I have a few actually. Um, okay. Of course, I'm like trying to think of, I mean, I, I have them like that I say all the time. And I'm like, wait, what? Are, but um, one of them I stole from Marie Forleo, which is everything is figure outable. That one really helps me I out a lot. My sister. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it too. And I just feel like it. Um, sometimes I get really frustrated because I'm in the details a lot. I'm like, oh my gosh, how can I, how is this going to work? And it's like, eh, everything's figure outable. Um, so that's like an easy one. Um, I just, I also think it's just important to be kind and be honest and, uh, you know, what goes around comes, you get what you give those kind of things. Um, I know I have a couple others, but I can't think of them off the top of my head, but they'd be around that genre. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, actually, Earlier. I just thought of one that you'll, you'll get a kick out of my grandfather actually, uh, came, heard this one from a poker buddy that actually owned a very large chain of grocery stores in the Pacific Northwest, but, um, uh, who it's from isn't as important as don't get in a pissing match with a skunk. that one I I remember as well sometimes when there's you know haters online or or whatever it is right if you're getting it it's just like okay don't get in a pissing match with a skunk so yeah that's that's a fun that that is definitely a good one (laughs) um so if you could work in a different field have you ever thought about like working in a different field because you've kind of re remade yourself in a couple different ways is there anything else that you're like incredibly curious about work-wise I because of my strong sense of justice and just um my passion for details and curiosity I think I'll always be in a form of fraud fighting it's just kind of who I'll always be um I originally wanted to be in social work and um because I do have a lot of compassion for people and so sometimes I joke that I'm kind of like the social worker for capitalism because <laughs> I help large companies save millions of dollars and recover them but you know at the end of the day I'm doing it to help them um so I do it with a you know I'm not really in it for the paycheck so um that's like a byproduct so um but I think I don't think I'd go into social work. I think it'd be too hard for my bleeding heart. Um, I think I've been curious about not career coaching, but something around that line, like helping others in that way, Um, as well as, you know, possibly writing a book at some point. Uh, That's one of my other questions. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) if you were going to write a book, what would it be about? Like a fraud or your journey in fraud? Mm, So... I actually had one heck of a childhood, so that would be its own book, but I don't think I could do, I mean, it's, it was very, very unique and not necessarily in a good way, but, um, I don't think I would do that. I I think that would be really hard unless I, you know, had a lot of like, you know, a personal therapist sitting next to me or something. Um, but I think, uh, I do think it would be around fraud. I think that's kind of something I've been working on. I've, you know, I've been approached, 
um, by a technical, you know, company to do like a textbook on fraud analysis. And I, um, just didn't feel like it was the right time for me. And so I actually, um, my favorite thing about that was I got to introduce the publisher to two women in Israel who are just fantastic at analytics. And those girls are women are writing like the best book and I can't wait to endorse it and write the forward. And, um, you know, they, they would have not known that technical uh publisher and it's a very large name um so that's you know that's one thing but i don't think i want to go on the technical route i think I don't know, i'm still kind of thinking about it i definitely have a lot of stories but part of the problem is a lot of people will want me to name names and name company names and and that's just not something i'll do um, and yes, I, I do know where all the bodies are buried for most of e-commerce corporations. <laughs> um, and half the time I don't have NDAs with them, but their trust is like the most important thing to me ever. And I, I never want to derail that. So um, that might be like a deathbed book. <laughs> by then people will be like, what's e-commerce? We do everything by, you know, I don't know, our wrist or something. Who knows? <laughs> okay, so this, is, this leads to... Um you meeting these two women in Israel. And I know a little bit of the backstory. You applied for a big conference. You got turned down. But <laughs> in the meantime, this conference in Israel, wasn't it FraudCon? Yeah. yeah. Asked you to go to Israel to present. Much bigger deal. And this is where I'm going to say serendipity and put yourself out there. Like, what are the chances that that would have happened. What if you had gotten that first, like, I'm going to say freebie gig and you couldn't have done this. It was crazy story. So actually it's even a little bit crazier than that because um, while I was asked to speak at the event, I was also told that, I had been selected for an award that I didn't even know existed. Um, actually, it's right. I know we're on podcasts, but it's right there. I finally, <laughs> my business mentor was like, why do you not have your award on your website, your LinkedIn? It's still maybe not on those things. Don't tell her, but it is on my wall behind me when I present because I've, I've done several large virtual events recently. So um, yeah, so they nominated and selected me uh, to be the first annual recipient of the e Legend of E-Commerce Fraud Award um, out of Tel Aviv, Israel at FraudCon. I didn't even know FraudCon happened in Israel. I'd never been to Israel. I, you know, what are the chances? But yeah, so I had applied to this big conference that, you know, a lot of people go to and, you know, it's an association that I thought, well, you know, be good exposure for from an e-commerce perspective. And I had spoken for two of their local chapters that year and the local chapter person had really encouraged me to apply. And, but yeah, it wasn't a paid gig. I mean, these days I, I mostly do paid gigs similar to you, but um at the time I was like, oh, you know, they, there's a lot of people going to that one. So I'll do it for free. Um, and it was, you know, at a town in the U S that I've been to before, but happy to go. And then, you know, I was, yeah, I was declined. And then about six weeks before FraudCon, I got this email and I was like, Hmm. And I was a little nervous about going to Israel because I didn't know, like, I don't know, I'm American. We see news that doesn't look safe. It was, I fell in love with that place. I would move there in a heartbeat, the food, the people, the atmosphere, how much they really, I mean, they are really on the cutting edge of innovation in um, cybercrime and um, security. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that most of the people, you know, that are in security were in military intelligence, kind of their version of the NSA. 
but just tons of great innovation. And I've since uh, been working with a couple of startups out of Israel that are just light years ahead of anything else that I know about from a fraud perspective. So that trip has paid off dividends in so many ways. And I haven't even maximized, you know, the, and the, the funny thing to me too, is that I'm technically the two-year champion because there wasn't a frog con this year and no one else got that award. <laughs> I'm trying to find silver linings anywhere I can. <laughs> COVID silver linings. Yes, there's not many of them, but that would be a good hashtag as well if it isn't already. But um, yeah, I was, you know, I was planning on being on the beaches of the Mediterranean this June for FrogCon 2020. And that was one of the several trips that were in my, you know, travel graveyard this year, so to speak. Yeah. Well, and it just goes to show if one, you know, cheesy, totally, yeah. cheesy, if one door closes, another one opens. And so you know, true. So action is redirection, right? That's yeah. that's something I've really had to learn this year as well. Um, I was pretty bummed because I had never, I mean, part of it was, and I think this is the post you're thinking of too. Like I was really bummed because I hadn't applied to speak at a conference in a really long time. I mean, that probably sounds really conceited, but like, I just, I hadn't, I'd always been asked to, you know, speak at places. And um, so I applied and then to not get it, I, I didn't want to be like, don't you know who I am? But I was kind of like, huh. I mean, because it's a different circle of fraud. I'm not going to totally, you know, assume that, but um, yeah, but it, and it, it kind of stung a little bit, but then when I didn't even realize it was the same day, actually the same days at all until you posted that you were <laughs> there. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is serendipitous. Like, I just, I hadn't even thought about that conference. So I didn't even realize the dates. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> Life is, just, is, yeah. Things was, happen for a reason. 100%. But part of this, and we talked about this isn't before, okay, great women in fraud, apply for positions to speak publicly about your expertise. And yes. Therese and I are on a mission to get more women to present. We just, we, you guys are qualified, like, absolutely qualified so um and if you get turned down somewhere don't stop yes carice is the perfect example and I will <laughs> tell you, i've been turned down by one conference four or five times i like had to extort my way into it finally and it worked so if you need help, i can Extortion. help hmm, is that is that under pink color <laughs> is that yeah, part I mean, of it <laughs> so no i couldn't agree more it's something i'm super passionate about encouraging women to speak if i wouldn't have been brave slash naive to speak 10 years ago for the first time at a big conference, my career never would have gone the way it did ever. Like I yeah. just, it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had people from Expedia asking me. I wouldn't have had people from Etsy asking me to consult. Like it just, you know, I build from there, but like, um, it really, it's important to try and it's important, you know, I'd, I'd much rather look back and be like, eh, I didn't get it, but I tried then I didn't try. And sometimes that's what it comes down to for me. I'm still nervous about some things, but I'm like, which one am I going to regret more doing it or, or like trying and failing or not doing it at all. And almost always it's not doing it at all. So, um, you know, a lot of times I have to kind of talk women into it, women who I think are smarter than me on a lot of subjects. I have to be like, yes, you know, I mean, I think we were talking about this earlier, but I think it's important to share that like 
I, until recently felt like, well, I'm not qualified for something. And I think for some reason, I thought in the back of my head that someone would come along with a magic wand and say, you're qualified. You're qualified to be a keynote speaker and charge for it. You're qualified to, you know, write a book. You're qualified to have your own podcast. That doesn't happen. We have to qualify ourselves. Uh, and it's really easy to second guess ourselves and not think we're enough, but would a man with your experience do the same thing? Probably not. And that's not a dig on men. That's honestly, I, I, I'm envious of, uh, you know, the, the confidence and the lack of self-guessing uh, that that a lot of men have. I I think my career would be even further if I if that were the case. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So is there anything that you want to tell the listeners or like something I haven't asked you and you're like, oh my God, why hasn't she asked me that? <laughs> No, I mean, I think I think the biggest thing was just, you know, going for things, right? Like going for the next step. What's the next step? Because there's too many brilliant women that are sitting in the same position they were in a few years ago or not trying for the next step or and if it's not within your, you know, if you're if you're good in your current position, maybe it's mentor someone else. Maybe it's, you know, work, learn something new. Maybe it just, you know, keep leveling up. I think that's. I really, it's just something that I really feel passionate about because I kind of had to go outside of our industry to get some of that advice. Um, And I think it's because the women, there were very few women in the industry before I joined. I mean, I joined pretty early uh, on the e-commerce side, but the very first conference I went to in 2009 was in Vegas and there were 250 attendees and there were less than 20 women. And now there's about 30 to 40% women, which is awesome. And I love that so much, but I think I still see, you know, a lot of them deferring to the male on their team or not feeling confident or, and I just, I guess I would just urge everyone to try, I mean, try for that next step, find out what you're needed for the next, what's needed for the next step. And cause if I, you know, if I wouldn't have tried, I, I wouldn't have met as many awesome people like you. I wouldn't have, you know, no one told me I was qualified to work with. I mean, I guess kind of by hiring me for the trade association, but, uh, you know, to work with these ginormous companies that are, you know, household names, but I've, you know, I've been able to help them and and they've helped me. So it's, you know, I don't know, I guess I probably sound preachy at this point, but (laughs) I'm passionate about it. It's it, not going to say it's lonely at the top because I don't feel like I'm at the top yet, but I do feel like I um, I always am wanting to help other women up, not out, but help a woman up. And um, I think, you know, I know you are too. And I think um, I want more women to want, you know, want to be as well. And it's not just all you guys, trust me, we're, we're fully aware of the challenges in the workplace. I think between Kelly and I, we've have our doozies of stories, but to keep going and not let that get to you is one of the greatest gifts because karma and life will figure out the other side of it, but just take care of you and, um, you know, and keep going forward. I have some friends in compliance, great women in compliance. Yeah, They just wrote the book and it's send the elevator back down. And I just love because you are sending the elevator back down all the time. And like, you know, it's. Well, I don't deserve to be on the elevator by myself. Like I don't want to be, it's boring. I'm I'm a social person, (laughs) but I just feel like, you know, I have been so lucky to have such an amazing network and 
my network and my knowledge really has no value if I'm not sharing it with others. That's just, that's always been my kind of my mantra. I guess that is one of my, my mottos and um, it's something that I live by. And I think that, you know, if I were to hog it all to myself, I, I would miss out. And so would other people. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This was so much. And uh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And oh, thank you. Me too. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Carice. And we will talk to you when your book comes out. <laughs> well, that might be in a few years, Kelly, but I will, I'm happy to come back. <laughs> These podcast episodes are kind of like your children. You certainly don't have favorite ones, but every so often, each child does something that kind of just blows you out of the water. And of course, Carice did that. Um, I loved how she did the rejection that turned into redirection and she ended up in Israel. That was an amazing, amazing story. We have a lot of shared connections. She is the real person when it comes to anything e-commerce. Find her on LinkedIn, reach out to her. She provides great content every week. If you're in this space or you want to get into the e-commerce fraud space, again, not perpetrating it, but investigating it, Carice is the go-to person. Thank you so much. And if you like this episode, please be sure to leave a review so more people can find it. Thank you and have an awesome week. This has been another episode of Great Women in Fraud with Kelly Paxton. If you have feedback on today's episode or would like to be a guest or have someone you think we should interview, please tweet us at Great Women in Fraud or email kelly at greatwomeninfraud.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again next time for more amazing guests, stories, and tips. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, it would be great if you left a rating on iTunes. Or please tell a friend about the show. Your time is valuable, and I appreciate it. Thank you for listening.